like to welcome everyone back to the Duck Pond Wall, a show here on WEHC-FM 90.7, WISE-FM WISE 90.5, where we get to sit down and talk with an Emory and Henry person about some cool things they're doing, maybe their job, maybe a project. Today, I am pleased that my guest is a 2019 graduate of Emory and Henry, Noah Dean. How you doing, Noah? I'm doing very good. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Tell me where you are right now. You sound like you might be out in the field somewhere. I'm currently hanging out in my backyard in the coastal town of Wilmington, North Carolina. Nice. Okay, we got some people in Wilmington. We need to get you all together. You would, you could, you could do a little Emory and Henry in the city action down there soon next spring. Absolutely. We want to explain to everybody what you do, and I'm not going to lie, this is one of those that it caught my attention immediately because I'm a little fascinated with wetlands, and you work around and in and on behalf of wetlands. So tell it, let's tell everybody what you do, and then we're going to talk about why wetlands are awesome. Um, so I go out in the field every day. I do about eight miles a day. I go use LIDAR to find the low places on properties. And sometimes the wetlands are even perched up on a hill. And so I go out, identify these areas and mark them for my clients um, where I work. I work for a small consulting firm. So in order to build in these areas, you have to have a wetland delineation if there's even a thought of a wetland being on your property. Mm -hmm. So I go out, identify those features, and then I present them to the Army Corps of Engineers for them to confirm or deny the locations of those. Okay. And so the consulting firm that you work for, is it a is it a government agency or is it a private agency? So it's a private agency. We only have about five people working for us currently. How did you how did you get started with them? Is this I mean it's twenty nine you said you graduated twenty nineteen. Did you do some graduate work or is this your, your first gig as a working man? So ironically, Dr. Davis kinda got me started on the consulting work. One of the internships I did in Ring was for a consulting firm in Bristol, Virginia, um, Artemis Consulting. So we would go out in the coal fields and we would go do stream testing, identify wetlands. But it's not quite as much as it is here. Okay. Everything's well-defined in the mountains. <laughs> when it comes to wetlands? Absolutely. You find a little valley, you're probably going to have a wet spot here. You could walk a field, and the whole thing's completely flat, but it's wet. Oh. There's no identifying feature. It can be perched up on a hill. Do you have a lot of hills in Wilmington? Um, we have a lot. Of, they're called sand ridges. And with the sand ridges comes a wetland type called a Pocosin. So you have a perched wetland that might be 15 to 20 feet above any other wet feature. Okay, I didn't know the word Pocosin meant something. There's a town in Virginia called Pocosin, and that means, tell me again what that means. It's a perched wetland. So it's up. Yes, it's up on a hill or, um, well, just up on a hill probably. Well, gosh darn it, I have already learned something today because I did not know. I just thought that was, I, I don't know what I thought that was, just like maybe a Native American word or something, but I did not know that it meant something. That is really cool. So you go out and, and identify these places that are wetlands. Um, 
why is it important to be careful about building around wetlands? So not only for foundation reasons, say the, the ground could, could shift, but the wetlands act as a, a natural water purifier. All the runoff goes through that wetland and filters it out, which in turn puts out clean, fresh water for all the fish and people. It also hosts all kinds of ecological benefits for fish as breeding grounds, all the migratory birds that'll come and nest beside of them and feed off the frogs and the crayfish. Yeah, it's like a whole, like, it's a whole unique sort of ecosystem in and of itself, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, and I confess I grew up way before you did. And when I was growing up, you know, people, I think, well, maybe not everybody, but the impression I always had was, oh, wetlands are kind of useless. You know, just fill those things in and let's put a supermarket on there and let's roll on. And um, we're kind of figuring out there's more to it now, right? Absolutely. I think that uh, policies like the Clean Water Act really helps to identify those features and protect them. So part of your your job then, I'm guessing, is to identify... Um, you know, for the builder to make sure they don't, you know, end up in the wrong place. But then also, I assume it's to protect the wetlands? Um, it, to an extent. We do permitting and mitigation of the wetlands where the client might pay the Army Corps of Engineers to fill a specific section. But then the mitigation comes in and they have to reproduce that wetland to almost to a T somewhere else. How can you do that? How does that work? It's got to be in the same geographical location. It's going to have the same environmental type and species. Wow, that's interesting. So do they do they move the species that are in the existing wetland? Um, not per se. Sadly, I wish it worked that way and that you could transfer all of them. But in hopes, most of the time, they don't get rid of the whole wetland. So it kind of shifts them over. So, so it's close enough that they can sort of move a little bit, sort of migrate a little bit. Yeah, except, so this is kind of just in the, the news currently, there was a new rule in 2023 that stopped um, the Army Corps or the federal government from having control over any non-jurisdictional feature, which would be an isolated wetland. So it doesn't have a flow. It doesn't go anywhere. But those are the most ecologically productive areas mm-hmm. where you have all kinds of endangered species such as gopher frogs um, or and they're not exactly endangered but are venus flytraps which only occur in a hundred mile radius of wilmington north carolina uh-huh. will be right up on the sandy slopes right just outside of the wetlands in all of these places in ditches and berms stuff that's not really always jurisdictional and now they can just fill them if they're non-jurisdictional. So they, you're saying they've lost a lot of their protections? Um, that's correct for isolated wetlands. Now if it's connected to a perennial feature such as a stream or a ditch that has an ordinary high water mark then it would be considered jurisdictional but if it doesn't go anywhere it's just a bowl it's a free-for-all. Why did they change the law? So there was a lawsuit prior there was another 2023 rule that declared significant nexus which would be a surface water connection or any kind of runoff that would come out of that wetland that would that could potentially pollute if they filled it running off. They found that to be non-enforceable or non-legal in that 
that battle, so they changed the rule. That's weird. I'm not sure I understand that. So, so they're saying that um, it's they can't prove that there's any runoff from a non-jurisdictional wetland. So the fact that there's no runoff from that wetland makes it non-jurisdictional. Oh, so they're saying it's it's uh, inconsequential. Yes. Even though there are a lot of species that depend on that. That only occur in that area. Wow. I mean, you might have 40 acres of no wetlands, and then they're just in the center. There's this little tiny half-acre, say, pond that's no longer jurisdictional that they could fill in. Those animals don't have anywhere to go. Yeah. They're well, gone. And it's legal. It is legal, completely. Huh. Well, this conversation has taken a sad little turn that I wasn't prepared for. So what is it of what, how do you, I mean, can you at least, um, what's, I guess, what's the word I want, educate people about what they're doing? Does that make any difference? Absolutely. Some people love that part of the ecosystem and they want to protect it. And I try to push them to fill the jurisdictional features where they might have to pay for it, but they also have, they're helping the environment by saving the other one. And, and and some people respond pretty well to that? Yeah, um, I would say it's probably 50-50 because it, I mean, it adds to, I would say value because that, that feature is not going to go anywhere. It's a really cool, it's almost like a conversation piece in your house. Yeah. So who are most of your clients? Is it, are they just home builders or are they um, business builders? I would say most of them are either home builders or commercial real estate. Um, I probably walk 250 acres a week Yeah. on average where I go out and survey all these places. Yeah. Now, on a lighter note, some of our clients send us out to do endangered species counts. Well, that's interesting. So if you find endangered species, does it mean they can't develop there? So say we have the red cockaded woodpecker. So in all of our timber or pine forests, they only occur in certain areas, and those areas are completely protected. You can't harvest from a stand of trees that has an active nest. All right. So it's kind of the saving grace. They hang out on the edges of the wetlands, somewhere where there's no under understory, and put a hole in the tree about the size of an apple. Yeah. And they sit there and pick at that tree until there's a bunch of sap coming down. So the snakes and <laughs> yeah. other predatory animals can't come up the tree. Oh, smart! It's a very defining feature. And and so if there's a if there are if there are red cockaded woodpeckers, you can't develop that property. You have to be outside of a certain distance from that habitat. Have you gotten to see a red cockaded woodpecker? Because I never have. I have. Um, I actually, I probably documented at least two separate nesting areas that. Uh, the Fish and Wildlife Service hadn't seen yet. Oh, that's cool. Did you feel like a bit of an explorer to discover those? I sure did. <laughs> I, I enjoyed documenting those <laughs> to no end. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I want to remind everyone we're speaking today with Noah Dean, Emory and Henry class of 2019. Um, and he is working with a consulting firm to, to educate people and about the wetlands and also to prepare people um, who might be thinking about developing some property in a wetland so tell me what are some of the i mean you say you get to do a um an, an evaluation of endangered species in addition to the red cockaded woodpecker are there other cool things that you've gotten to see as a result of that kind of work yeah so we have certain species like the rough leaf loose stripe 
Oh yeah. That we'll go out and we'll do species counts on on power line easements since they only occur in specific places. It's it's very easy to identify where they would be. There's a couple other. What kind of loose strife did you say? It's rough leaf loose strife. Rough leaf, and that's an endangered plant species. It is, and it's a very pretty, pretty plant. It's kind of dainty though probably why it's endangered mm-hmm. yeah i've said before that some of the animals that are in danger seem to have a really complicated life cycle and i think that's probably true for some of the plants too it, it, it's very <laughs> very true the loose stripe is really cool because it's like a triangular plant it's very symmetrical oh well i'm gonna have to google that one i know around here we have and i think it's invasive there's a purple loose strife that I see it in Hidden Valley Lake a good bit, and it's really pretty, but then I looked it up, and it was like, yeah, that's not really supposed to be there. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I've seen that one before. Well, I, I hope I'm not lying. I need to look that one up, too. Nope, you're right. Did you find it? Yep. Oh, look at you Googling while we're talking. I'm so impressed. You can do two things at <laughs> once. You can calm down the dog. You can look, Google stuff. Are there other animals that you've bumped into that are sort of fun? Or like, And I'm guessing that when we talk about animals, we're talking less about the size of a of a jackal and more like the size of maybe a frog well i'll see it i'll occasionally see a rosate spoonbill <gasps> no way that's lost its way and hides in our wetlands wow that is wicked cool tons of heron species we also have the piping plovers oh, in our sure. coastal wetland areas are now are those that endangered? Are they are yeah and so we'll go find the nesting sites and we'll mark those as well this is gonna this is gonna just be a bleeding heart question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Does anybody ever want to buy wetlands and preserve it as a wetland? To be completely honest, yes. Oh gosh, that's a happy answer. It's a very happy answer. There is actually a guy near Bowling Springs Lake that owns, I don't want to butcher this, but it's <laughs> around 5,000 acres of completely undeveloped, uninhabited land. Yeah. That is a nature sanctuary. Oh my gosh! That oh, you're finally saying something that does not make me want to cry. Yeah. So he's he's adding to it every chance he gets. He'll go and take everything out and clean it up and let nature have it. Oh my gosh! Is it public area or does he have a like a conservation easement on it or something? Thank goodness it's completely private. Oh good. Oh my gosh! That There's is no one going around trampling on it. Yeah. Oh, man. What, so so who is this fellow, and how do I get a personal invitation to just come stand and stare? I wish I could tell you his name off the top of my head, but it has left me. Well, when you do see him next time, you just tell him that you have a friend in Emory who just wants to come and hug him and just stare at his 5,000 acres. <laughs> I don't even have to step foot on it. I just want to stare and be proud of him. Absolutely. That is fantastic. So, all right, we're getting close on the end of time here. Let's just do a quick wrap-up and say this. Um, you know, you were an environmental studies major, right? That's correct. And Ed Davis is very proud of you. He's the one who let me know what you were doing. Tell me, what are some of the things that you learned at Emory & Henry that you find that you reference a lot when you're out in the field working? I'll say uh, Dr. Hainsworth definitely definitely helped me out a lot when we were doing our water testing. Oh, sure. I was doing it at the Bartlett Crow Field fill station and that was about the time they started figuring out the crayfish that they had found the blue ones and i was yep during that time i was so interested in crayfish that that goes hand in hand with the wetlands i wanted to go out and find something like that myself 
So here I am. (laughs) (laughs) And there you are out there digging through the wetlands. (laughs) All the time. That is great. What's, I know, I'm guessing that you probably have some, some days when your heart is not as happy as others. Um, Certainly this fellow with the 5,000 acres would make a person's heart happy. Um, Can you, do you have another fun story of like a day that just kind of made you smile because you realized you were able to have the sort of impact that you'd like to have? So recently I went and worked for one of the local state parks. That's probably, that's probably two hours away. They have a very significant population, the red cockaded woodpeckers. Yeah. And it's an area that people get to go walk every day. And we did a wetland delineation on one of their streams and the surrounding wetlands so that they could repair a bridge that was damaged by beavers. Hmm. So the Army Corps of Engineers requires that you have the permit and you have the wetlands verified so they can replace the structure. And I get to say I was part of repairing something in a state park for people to go and admire. Wow. And it's good for everybody because you're you're taking care of all the animals and also giving people a chance to experience it. Correct. I loved it. That is great. I'm You know, I'm thinking of a book that I read last Christmas I'm going to send to you. Um, Suzanne Strike wrote a book called The Middle of Somewhere. And one of the chapters is about her opportunity to go and sit in the woods with a ranger and look at the red cockaded woodpecker. And so I'm going to send you that book because it's, I think you will appreciate it maybe more than most of us. Absolutely. That sounds great. I will send it on to you. So any other sort of last minute advice that you might give some folks um, regarding if they if they know about some wetlands in their area? Um, you know, I'm thinking about, for instance, at Sugar Hollow, they've got some wetlands you could go visit there. Um, what would you say to people who say, I don't understand what the big deal is about wetlands? What, Where would you send them to go or ha- what would you say to them about how to learn more? Yeah, I'm trying to think of something near Sugar Hollow. They've got like those wooden boardwalks down in there and stuff. It's really a cool place to visit. I'll say this. I Since I love the fish, the habitats that the wetlands provide for the the hatchlings of the fish that protects them and lets them grow to the size that you might be able to catch or see swim by or to protect stuff like your endangered rainbow darter, mm. Virginia. So, okay, so, you, so you're an advocate for wetlands because of how they help the fish. Absolutely. So, uh, so even, if, even if somebody's listening who can't get super squishy about a, you know, excitement about wetlands, you can say, yeah, but do you go fishing? Yeah, I mean, it's a prime example of something that is needed to keep a fishery alive. I, I, the first time I really understood anything about a wetland, I just was, I felt terrible for how many times I had just dismissed them because I just didn't understand that they played such an important role in flood mitigation and, and purifying the water. I mean, it doesn't look like the sort of place that would have such a great function in the ecology. It probably has a wider range of ecosystem than anywhere else on flat land. You have more species of frogs, fish, they all these larval insects that reside in the leaf litter in the bottom of the wetland until they age to the point where they're flying around. Say the helgramite turn into dobson flies or the dragonfly larva. They need these pristine waters, and that's what the wetlands give them. That is terrific. And I love that you mentioned the the dragonfly larva because, um, you know, we we just enjoy a dragonfly because they're so pretty and they fly around everywhere, but they don't. They don't get to be pretty and flying around for that long. They are those funky-looking larvae for a very long time. 
don't quote me on this, I think they are a larva for years. Yeah, no, I think they are too. I read that somewhere. It's like they could be down there scrubbing around for up to six years, um, just eating other bugs on the bottom of the muck. And then when they do hatch out, they are, you know, fantastic. Lovely flying insects. Exactly right. Unlike the mosquitoes. <laughs> and wetlands actually are pretty good for mosquitoes because frogs eat mosquitoes and, you know, wetlands are full of frogs. Yep, and then I invade their habitat and they try to eat me. Oh, except for that. Well, Noah Dean, Emory and Henry class of 2019, I want to thank you so much for being our guest today on the Duck Pond Wall. And thanks for teaching us about wetlands. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. I tell you what, I'll think about you. Um, I will I will find a wetland this weekend, and um, I'll think about you and all the good work you're doing. Sounds great. As we wrap up this conversation with Noah, I would like to issue a challenge. A challenge that you leave this conversation and go learn more about the importance of wetlands in our ecosystem. I really was that person who grew up thinking they were just a waste just, you know, bad land, so to speak. I had no idea what they did for clean water, what they did for flood mitigation, or what they did to support the lives of lots of important species that exist in our ecosystem and even a lot of endangered species, as Noah was saying. So here's my challenge. Do a little more reading. Um, You can easily go to the internet and find some great sources. The EPA has a great article on wetlands. World Wildlife Fund has a great article. And the National Geographic webpage also has um, a really interesting article on wetlands. Just in your search bar, just type in learn more about wetlands. And you should get some really good options about, you know, the joys and importance of a wetland area. So that's that's your first challenge. Your second challenge is this. Go on a field trip. Um, there are a couple places um, in southwest Virginia. Now, you know, you may be listening to this somewhere else, and I encourage you to locate some wetlands in your region that are visitable by tourists and naturalists. Here in southwest Virginia, we have a couple of great options. One is at Sugar Hollow Park that I mentioned um, while we were talking. They have a wonderful little boardwalk system that you can just park right next to the um, where the boardwalk begins and tootle around in the wetlands. Um, depending on the season, you'll see a lot of different animals in there and that kind of thing, a lot of different plants that will be coming up at different parts of the season. We're talking in October, and I was just there, and it's not quite as lively as it is in the spring. But depending on when you're there, you might see tons of dragonflies and turtles and um, great blue herons and just all kinds of great things that are happening in there. I was there just recently and saw some hermit thrushes, and so that was exciting. Sugar Hollow Park is in Bristol, literally across the street from Target. So if you have some shopping to do, you can just jump right over there and take a little walk and be sort of fascinated by all that's going on there. The other cool place that you can visit is the Blue Ridge Discovery Center in Conorog, Virginia. Um, one of our graduates, Allie Singleton Riley, just won an alumni award for her work overseeing the restoration of an old wetland that was right near the recently renovated Um, Lutheran School that is now serving as the headquarters for the Blue Ridge Discovery Center. 
this little piece of property had been filled in and used for grazing for a long time. And so it was just really kind of being mowed. And then they did a little digging around and realized that it used to be a wetland area. And so they have restored it to its previous wonder. And I do say wonder because it is exciting that just in the year or two that they've been working on this, how much life has been restored to that previously kind of boring little square of grass. There are, uh, they've got a little pond, some ponds in there. They've been putting in hundreds of native plants. They've had tons and tons of volunteers working to put in all these native plants. And now that's showing the fruits of, um, of what they had hoped it would happen. There were birds that have returned there. Salamanders have come back. They've got frogs in there, insects galore. And don't be squeamish about insects because everybody has to eat, and insects are very delicious to a lot of the animals we get more excited about. So there's a lot going on there now that they have restored that spot, and it's a wonderful place to visit. You can go up there and kind of look around on your own a little bit if you want to, or go to the Blue Ridge Discovery Center website and watch for the upcoming naturalist rallies that are planned. They have one for every season now. And so there are four per year, and you can participate in that and maybe get a guided tour from somebody who knows all about wetlands. I just don't want us to leave this conversation without talking about the fact that wetlands are awesome, and wetlands do a wonderful service to the environment, and it's up to each of us to learn a little bit more about how it works. So I hope that I will see you out there and looking at wetlands somewhere soon. In the meantime, I want to thank Noah Dean for being our guest today on the Duck Pond Wall, and I want to thank each of you for listening in today. I hope you'll keep listening to this station because WEHCFM 90.7, WISCFM 90.5 is, after all, the voice of Southwest Virginia. Thank you.